Hello, sweet friends, and welcome to the Vandeltrong Curious World Podcast. I got a, um, I got a correspondence from a, a, a friend of mine that lives in, um, in Oregon, and she was driving through Rosenberg, Oregon, which is the, uh, the latest site of um, the most recent uh, American slaying of innocence. Um, she was, you know, she was driving and uh, she saw one cop car drive by and then another and then another, and she thought it was a an auto accident. So she put on the radio and, you know, uh, they are already talking about the shooting. And I think it was from the timeline. I think it was probably just happened maybe you know forty five minutes from the time that she drove through the the actual city. Um, strange times, you know, we're, we're definitely living in strange times. Um, it's funny, you know, uh, not, I used to love Buck Hunter, you know, I used to go to, uh, Barcade and, uh, which is for those who are too familiar, Barcade is what it sounds like. It's a bar with an arcade and, uh, there's a lot of eighties video games in there. Anyway, I used to go in there and play buck hunter a lot and just like you know there's a rifle and you just shoot and things like that and um i don't know like it just it uh it feels a little different now i mean just holding a gun and everything uh i don't know i feel like they're people are should be allowed to do what they want to do and if you can do what you want to do and not hurt other people um then you should be able to do it uh, but I don't know what to make of, of all this. I don't know what to make of, uh, you know, there seems to be, you know, three schools of thought, you know, there's, you know, the, we should have less guns. We should have more guns to protect ourselves. And then there's the argument of, oh, well, it's mental health. And that to me is sort of a crutch argument because I feel like if you go into a building and shoot up a bunch of innocent people by definition aren't you is that do you that's I mean you're mentally deranged right and then I don't know I just feel like uh, we're not really discussing the actual issue with that but anyway uh, like I said I don't know what to make of this and nobody does and my opinion doesn't really matter and I know you guys don't want, listen to this show for politics because you know, I don't, I don't really have any insight on that. Um, but it does feel like it's becoming like an American sacrament. You know, there's a ritual and then there, we have the same events. We have the same conversations and it's the same impasse. And then there's this lack of comprehension from all sides. And then we repeat the process. Strange, strange times indeed. Um, anyway, uh, shifting gears for a second. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, if you're new to listening to the show, um, you know, uh, the Curious World podcast is uh, not about any particular subject. It's a freeform conversation. I don't even call these interviews. They're just conversations. They're just talks that I have um, sometimes with people that I know um, that I've worked with or that I know very well, or just people, <clears throat> excuse me, people that I've never met. 
and um, it's free flowing and uh, you know it's just truthful conversation. So uh, it's all unscripted. Today's podcast is brought to you by Finest Kind Tea. Uh, these are fi- teas that are handcrafted in the lovely state of Maine. Each tea is an infusion of elemental tastes, non-GMO. Uh, basically, they're mixers and modifiers, and you can add water to them, or you can brighten up cocktails with them, and uh, really good stuff, and really incredible people behind the product. You can follow them on Twitter, at Finest Kind Tea, and that's also their website, finestkindtea.com. Uh, speaking of cocktails, uh, my guest today uh, is Lara Schneck. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably butchering it. Um, Laura makes uh, websites, and she teaches people how to make websites, and she's awesome and fun, and of course, uh, we get, well not of course, I don't know why I said of course, Um, but she's also into cocktails, and she knows a whole bunch about cocktails. You can follow Lara on uh, Twitter, Lara's126, that's L-A-R-A-S-126. Her website is not Laura, N-O-T-L-A-U. R A dot com. You know, making the differentiation that it's Lara, like Lara Croft, not Laura, like Laura, um, which I can certainly understand. I mean, having a unique name myself, I often have to correct people or I usually just say fuck it and let them call me Sam or Dan or, or, or Bengal. I get Bengal sometimes. Anyway, uh, I'll shut the fuck up now and uh, scrap in, folks. Uh, this is a good one. Without further ado, my conversation with the lovely Lara Schnee. project that I wanted to be a game so I was like oh I want to learn how to like code or like however you do this so I started doing some flash stuff and then um uh one of my teachers was like oh you should learn how to make websites and then you can kind of call your own shots and freelance and do that and so that's what I did kind of all self-taught and when you you said you had no you know you had no computer background prior to that but what did you what was your uh perception of of computers and so forth before that? Um, I don't know if I really like thought about them that much because I lived in Boulder at the time. So I grew up outside of Pittsburgh like on a farm and then wanted to like get the hell out of there. <laughs> so and I was really into skiing and like smoking pot so I moved to Boulder. <laughs> and uh, did no computer stuff there at all. Just kind of was like outdoorsy hippie type and then wanted to get into, I wanted to do this game thing and I wanted it to be a video game and to do that at Boulder at University of Colorado I would have had to like start over in my schooling so I'd have to do like new foundations programs so I moved to Boston and transferred to this like weird art school. Oh yeah. It's like super. You went to, I went to Emerson. Oh okay yeah yeah. SMFA. It's a pretty weird place I kind of hated it. 
Yeah, everybody but, uh, that I ran across, they had like like fresh paint on their shirt or had, like, my, they, they, they were dressed like Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> like my graduation was like the most depressing thing ever because there was someone dressed as like a fucking hot dog <laughs> or something and I was like, this is supposed to be like a serious time. And then people were wearing a cap and gown as a joke. And there was a guy that's like a cowboy outfit. I'm like, are you serious? Go like work at your coffee shop <laughs> for the next five. I mean, that's fine. Like do that. Not not hating on like baristas and people like pursuing their craft, but right. it's just not like a career oriented place. Do you think there were a lot of like trust fund kids or because that was was my case? Yeah, like, that was my impression. They're kind of just like because it's not a cheap school, and yeah. that was like my impression is that people kind of are just messing around. And the way the school is, I don't mean to. I mean, I'm sure it worked out well for some people, but the way the curriculum was structured, which is what appealed to me was that it was very open and you can kind of take whatever class you want so there are no majors and that was great because I was like super self-motivated and kind of like exploring this one topic and other people though would because there were no grades and at the end of each semester you'd have this uh, review board and people would put everything off until like the last two weeks and put together some like conceptual bullshit kind of stuff. So like a cardboard box. Yeah, one guy literally like painted a rock a hundred times, or something <laughs> like that. Or like my senior show, there was someone had like a foot bath with like cat litter in it and a thing of detergent or something like that. And it was kind of like if you have a four years of art theory and as a background and you stand and look at that for twenty minutes, maybe it would be like really meaningful otherwise it's just like very just pissed me off a lot so and so what was the, what was your constituents what were they like were they, they like oh this is bullshit or were they like oh my god that is that's really deep it depends on the person so if people can like talk about it then and the teachers were a lot of like working artists so i feel like teaching was secondary to a lot of them too so um and a lot of people were do like a lot of people were doing work like that so it was not necessarily what was your uh, what was your um, your project? My final project. I did like a couple of prints or kind of like type assemblage things in InDesign and like printed them out on a wall. So they're they're cool. Was the the cat litter crowd impressed by that? No, probably not. <laughs> I mean it was like I didn't, I had like two friends. It's cool. <laughs> it sucked. I was like working all the time and didn't really uh, interact with people, but. Back to the computer stuff, like, in Boulder, didn't really cross my mind. I was probably, like, anti-technology at that time. Yeah, what was the video game that you wanted to make? What was that about? Um, it's pretty weird. It's, like, kind of a spiritual satire. Wow. Yeah. That, that That's not... I don't know if that has a lot of commercial value, but that sounds no, awesome. No, it probably has no commercial value. But it got me into, like, all the stuff that I do now. So, there are kind of these funny illustrated characters that are really weird. So, was it... Would it be, like... I mean, I'm not into video games... But well, I've you... never been either, which is why it's weird. Oh, that is, so how did you? Yeah. How did that go into your brain? I don't know. Were... It was. I was like, oh, this is like a ski, game. Skiing, it's kind of a skiing game. and weed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you'd say that. A few mind-altering substances in my, in my Boulder days encouraged the game fascination, I guess. But uh, it kind of came about because I was like, oh, these things need to interact in order to have them be more than like illustrations and so it was the idea of like certain the interaction between certain symbols so you know one character interacted with this other like object in some way and it was like I want people to be able to act that out and so it's kind of not a game because you don't really win it's more of like an interactive process right. and 
I made it in as like a little python thing, which was cute. That's probably doesn't work on anything now. And I have this fantasy that someday I'll pick it back up again because I have a lot more technical skills now. I could probably do it, but um, yeah. Were you when you were growing up? Were you into math? No, I was like an art hippie person. Because I feel like that's <laughs> the that's the thing that, yeah. that that that's the wall that I encounter um, with. You know, mainly with technology and computers, and is like these algorithms and things like that, where it's just, I just don't have a whole lot of time to invest in that or interest. I guess it's mainly interest. Um, but it seems, and also I get almost in a hyperventilative, hyperventilative state when I think of like the complexities. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but obviously, you, you have ability to, to break it down not only for yourself, but for your clients as well. Mm-hmm. So I will say, kind of no to that because like what I do it's it's really interesting and there is this divide like in the web industry specifically about and I'm sure in other you know little technic niches but the divide between like designer developer and like front end and back end person so you can code your eyeballs out all day and not do any kind of algorithms so what I do is more front end development and I do some programmatic things but I don't get into like leveraging data and like algorithmic heavy duty like architecture stuff at all it's very back-end server-side stuff so you have generally like a, a team of like a web development team or some work people working on a product whatever you'll kind of have these segments of like designer front-end developer and then the back-end like the database architecture all that kind of stuff that deals a lot more with like search algorithms things like that so I don't I kind of understand that stuff enough to teach it um to like you know beginners intermediate and people that are focusing more on the front end part because front end is more about understanding kind of the structure of what's called like the dom so the document object model mm. um I like, but how, that, I like how you made it in well, yeah, lots of air quotes for this is so many like stupid acronyms and whatnot that just make the whole field really intimidating and yes yeah but yeah um but that kind of stuff is very visual so it's basically like a lot of pretty well-ordered boxes and so mm. it's very visual, and so I think that's how I kind of took to it from having like an art and design background. So, um, you know, I'd say like maybe you know ten years ago, maybe even recent as maybe like five, eight to five. You know, there wasn't this really. We really didn't have the technology to be really hands like hands on. Like the technology wasn't that user friendly. So if you wanted to, you're like, hey, I want to have a website to sell you know, my use socks or whatever, you'd have to hire those people if you had no design skills or no, you know, you couldn't create or anything like that. But now with, um, you know, all these services that the the individual can do that and they can do it with the, in the sense of like creating a commerce, um, there's a like Squarespace and things like that. Does that make your job more difficult or does it pose more of just an added component well it's kind of a hot topic right now for sure yes because there were a couple articles that came out one was on mashable and it's just so i'm like embarrassed for mashable that they published that kind of because it's just like really not that out but whatever it's called like web design is dead right it's like no because there there are things you know these things like squarespace wordpress has a lot of capability like Mm -hmm. that for people to just go make their own sites and there's a new thing called the grid Dot io that supposedly is like artificial intelligence to make a website for you 
And <laughs> of course, they were like, launching June 2015. It's not out yet, so mm-hmm. some vaporware there for you. Um, <clears throat> but I think the role of a web designer is like way more than just designing a website. It's a lot about like the relationship with a client, so like helping them. You know, people have these like business realizations. Like I've worked with several people that have kind of like pivoted their companies while we're working on a website, right? Because when you have to sit down and think about like what you want on this website, like what is my about page going to say? Like any time you have to sit down and write something about yourself, it's like oh my god, what am I doing? Right. So that and I think that process, if you can facilitate that well with a client, and also you know, do the design and development behind it or honestly suggest to them, like, based on your budget and your, you know, technical know-how and your time, you should make this yourself and I can kind of help you do that. But that being said, building a custom site for, you know, a lot of, a lot more money, so something like, you know, 15 grand, whatever, versus the $50 theme and 25 hours someone can put into it themselves, that 15 grand website, I think, is what's going to be the that's what people are going to pay for more in future because it's about the experience of like working with either an individual or a firm and also having something exactly like built exactly to your needs. So if you have, um, like I worked with a digitization company, right. And they had like specific products and like each product was kind of had kind of had like specific types of data attached to it. So whenever we worked together, I kind of like made a content, system for them where it was like very straightforward to add that data in versus if they did it with a WordPress, just like a basic WordPress theme or square site, it's going to be so much redundant work and so much, you know, messing and tweaking things and like not getting things to align properly. And so ultimately it is a much bigger time saver and headache saver and you are making a more future proof site if you build it well with this like custom site that's a lot more money. As so, opposing using templates, right? But yeah. the reason people would use templates is so they they can manage it themselves. Well, so with this custom site, like they totally like I don't touch these sites now. So like I build them, it's kind of like one and done. I'll come in every few months to like update some things and make sure everything's good. But they're like very healthy sites because they're kind of built um, in a very minimalist way. So you don't have these like all this code bloat that comes from trying to accommodate all people. So if you use a Squarespace template or like a heavy duty WordPress template, that is built to accommodate any kind of business. So you'll, you can use maybe the demo sites for like a creative agency, but you get a, a restaurant using that site. And that person wants to like add a slider and use a completely different color scheme and font set. So um, integrating all of and building all of those options into a theme make for a much larger and error-prone site. Whereas if you're building something completely customized, you only have what you need, so it's a lot slimmer. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, it actually makes sense to me. Yeah, so I'm cool. sure pe- my listeners are always smarter than me, so I'm sure that's it makes good. sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's what's going to happen, is there's going to be this divide between like, you know, the five-figure custom site and then helping people build their own sites. Because it's really hard to find clients in like the three grand area. Because then you get into this like penny pinching mode, right. and it's just kind of a headache. Right, and those, and those, in that in that genre, um, they want everything for nothing. Right, and you get into feature creep, and they're like, "Oh, why can't we have this like three D rotating like carousel slider, you know, feeds you chocolate thing?" And it's like, "Oh, well, that's gonna take me twenty hours to build." So no. And then they're like, oh, but I'm paying you this yeah, much. Why can't you just do and it for like, free? Yeah, so it's, um, 
just a lot of strain on the relationship when you're dealing with like budget and stuff like that. And I mean, it's hard to find the more expensive clients. Like they're really, you know, that many around. But that's kind of why I moved towards teaching a lot more now. So like helping people build their own sites in like a smart way. And how did you do that? How what was the um, the compulsion to to start teaching? Um. Well, so back to games. I was really into games and learning, so that's what this kind of weird art project got me into, is like games and using game mechanics as educational tools. So when I first moved to New York, I always have like all these hats and things going on, but when I first moved... Everybody does. I think that's part of moving to New York. Yeah, totally. Um, But when I first moved to New York, I wanted... um, I got this internship at a school called Quest to Learn, doing some design stuff there. And it's a school where the curriculum is based on games, so it's all like game-based learning, and they'll kind of build. Somebody cutting their grass. Hang on, I'm just gonna yeah. keep, keep it. Sorry, I'm just mm-hmm. gonna push it That's so weird. You hear that? Right? Yeah. That's something you don't hear in the East Village for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so I was really into this uh, games and learning and using game mechanics as, like, curriculum tools. So I came to this internship, and I was kind of planning to go to grad school and, like, phase out the web stuff. But I ended up not liking the internship that much. It kind of wasn't... Um, I thought I would be able to be more involved in the school stuff instead of just, like, designing posters. But it was just kind of the structure of the organization and potentially, like, unreasonable expectation to move up like that from where from the thing I applied for. And so I got way more into web, and yeah, I taught a class at when I lived in Pittsburgh before I moved, just kind of randomly. And what was the subject? A web web development, oh. like one on one. So like that. that was yeah. That was before you went to Colorado. No, so my my geographic timeline. I've had this like two year trend in places. So besides growing up in like rural Pennsylvania, I moved to Boulder for two years, then Boston for two years. Back to Pittsburgh for two years, and now been in New York for two years. Oh, so the hourglass is running down. Uh, well, I told myself I would stay here for three years, at oh. least, maybe more. I've heard New York has a gravitational pull, so we'll see. Where Where would you go beyond if, if New York um, it would? If you were to leave New York, where would you go? Potentially back to Colorado. I'd like to live in a ski town for a little bit, at least for a season. Um, so you were really into skiing. Yeah, I was. Did you ever try snowboarding? I did once when I was like eight. Yeah, not, like, not, not I was like, it. no. I tried snowboarding for the first time, actually, is it a year ago? Maybe a year and a half ago, and I've done it three times since. Um, yeah, I, it's easier, and I didn't grow up in a snow environment, but it was easier for me than, than skiing. Skiing for me, I just felt like... Okay, now you're gonna die, and now you're gonna die again. And well, harder to stop. You can't just like pivot and fall over. Well, I just did the uh, the triangle. Pizza. Yeah, the pizza, pizza and then like, fries. okay, now do I do? I guess just just eat it. Okay, yeah, yeah that was fun. Um, yeah, I grew up skiing. My parents met skiing actually. Oh, on a random ski trip. Yeah, my mom's uh, like from Long Island. My dad's a Pennsylvania farm boy, and they met on two separate ski trips in Utah. And then somehow ended up together. They're a very odd couple. So even like taking family trips out west for since I could like walk. So before I could walk. You ever gone to Utah? Yeah. What part? Um, Alta is probably one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, But it's outside Salt Lake City. There's like 
Little Cottonwood Canyon, Big Cottonwood Canyon they're called, but it's right outside. It's like really cool because you're in Salt Lake City, which is, yeah. And then, but you drive 30 minutes and you're straight up in the mountains. You didn't, you didn't like Salt Lake City? Well, I didn't really hang out there too much, but well, there's nothing it's to a little weird. For. It is yeah. weird. Like, you, I was. Uh, I don't want, can't hate on it because I haven't, I haven't really hung out there too much. But oh, you can, you're, you're, you're a human being with an opinion. I'm you a can, New Yorker. We like uh, to hate things. Yeah, exactly. I do feel like a New Yorker now because I crushed a cockroach with my hand the other day. <laughs> Not a huge one, but it was in my kitchen and I was like, no! Wait, did, with like a fist? Like a fist. Or, I was oh. just like, and I was like, this is a defining moment yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> the clouds parted. Yeah. There seems to be um, like a duality uh, that I'm hearing of a sense of a sense of nature and a sense of like the Colorado in you, and and at the same time you're so entrenched in in technology. Um, how do, how do you balance those those worlds? Um, I would say probably don't. It's like one or the other, <laughs> actually, because like here I'm very you know into work and that kind of thing kind of a career person and being in the city you know i don't go on hiking trips i don't get out of the city i mean i get out of the city a fair amount but not to do like fun things so it's a little like you just go to do miserable things well no it's usually like work stuff or i'll go home which is fun so that is fun but i don't uh make time for the nature stuff really it's a pain in the ass to try to leave the city. I feel yeah, like sometimes we're like quarantined here. I mean, to get out, like if you're even driving, you have to go, you know, have to go to the PQE, you have to go through all these bridges. If you want to take a bus, that's such a, it's even probably, or a train, that's even more of a pain in the ass probably. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, I just feel like sometimes we're trapped here. Yeah. And I've done, I did like a meetup.com hiking trip last year, which was cool. But meetup things are weird sometimes. Where did you go? Uh, oh my god, I don't even remember. It was some absurd trip that I didn't really realize it was going to be this long. And I was okay. Cause I, was I like, mean, was it in New York State? No, was it, uh, yeah, it was in Adirondacks. Oh, but okay. it's some kind of, like, it's like 11 peak hike or something. It's like 25 miles. I can't remember Jeez. what it's called. It was like really extreme. And <laughs> like I wasn't Everest. entirely expecting that extreme of a thing. And I was How did like, they present it to you? Was it like, oh, let's have a picnic on a hill? Well, no. I mean, they wrote, they, you know, the thing said what it was. They didn't make it sound like that big of a deal, though. But okay. the problem, or the, the issue is like, I was, I'm like not a fast hiker. Kind of like take my time, but I'm like, have longevity. So, I'm kind of, like, in this group that was, like, maybe a little bit behind, and there were a couple people that were, like, struggling, and it was, like, dark, and I was, like, oh, my God, this is, like, a little bit scary, and, like, How I steep to, like, was the, was the, um, the hike? I mean, are we, you're going up on something where... Yeah, I mean, to, like, you, like, climb? summit these few things. Yeah, there were a few parts you had to climb a little bit. And so, the, the people that were struggling, were they, were they, did you feel like they were in, in, in danger? Or? Yeah. This one guy was like, I was like, oh my god, do I need to like put my arm around you and help you? And he was, this is like really funny to think about, but he was like hiking in bare feet for some of the time. Why? Just cause. I don't know. Like, what do you, and I was like, this is cool, I guess. Like, go for it. But now, you know, the hike ended up going, oh my god, it was like a 15 hour hike or something. I mean, it was so long. How big was the group? Well, the group uh, was probably like, 
18 people. Nah, maybe not quite that many. 15, 18 people total. That's a but, lot. but they separate it out. So there's like, you know, the five people up front and the middle group and then like the The people are going to die in the back. Yeah. <laughs> I was taking care of the people that were going to die. That was fine. I grew up on a farm, so I've. <laughs> you know Good technology? Okay, you go with them. Okay, so you get up to the top or it's Well, sundown. it's a multiple peak thing. So you like do a peak. Come back down, do another peak. Oh wait down. a minute! Yeah. You said the it's like a big thing. It's like a fame. It's like the hardest day hike in the country or something. And because it's yeah, I, no, a I think I did do it. Uh, it's near a town. It's near a. Uh, why am I blanking out? But I think I did that. I remember. I remember. So I went there by. Tra- did you go by train or? No, we carpooled. So I'm with there by train, and the train lets you out. If we're talking about the same thing, the train lets you out right in front of like this this giant kind of mountain thing. Uh, I know what you're talking about. It's not that. You would really know if you did this. And then everybody's like, like Whoa, gung-ho, and they're like climbing. Everybody's climbing. And then after about like 40 minutes, people are like, man, fuck this. People are just kind of taking a break. Yeah. And There's one I know. I can't remember what it's called. It's like Bear. Not Bear. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a ten, 8 or 10-mile loop. That is on the train, for sure. So that might be what you're talking about. This is like, if you look, I mean, don't do this now, but if you look up, like, Hardest Day Hike USA Adirondacks, potentially, it might come up. I'm thinking about it. I, I remember the one I did was, like, has a pretty intimidating name. I forget it. Yeah, well, like, this, I thought, if it's the same one I'm thinking of, it has a lot of scrambling and, like, a lot it's of like, climbing like, stuff. It's like, like, yeah. Mountain Killjoy or something like that. Mountain Killjoy, <laughs> Okay, so anyway, so you, you break out into fives, and then oh. you eventually meet up, and everybody passes out? Yeah, and you meet up at the camp. And it was like, it was just like a long day, and it was, yeah, so if I want to go hiking, it has to be like with a meet up probably, and it's like kind of weird. Right, you Where said they were like weird. I've always, I've never, I've, I've never done them, I always thought about doing them, but you said they were weird, why are they weird? I don't know, it's just like a real motley crew. Every time you go on one, it's like, all right. Because it feels like kind of lame. It's like, oh, wow, like nobody has friends to do this stuff with, so you do a meetup. Which is ridiculous because, you know, how many times, like, you know, move to New York by yourself, you're not going to meet, like, a group of people to go hiking with easily other than, like, doing a meetup.com thing. But it's, like, it's just kind of weird. Do you, were there clusters of people that gravitated to, to each other? I mean, did it become, like a, like, a tribal thing? Um, that's pretty random. Maybe. But you kind of stuck to yourself, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a floater. Let's talk to whoever's near me. <laughs> so, um. And helping yeah, people who are Yeah, I mean, you kind of, like, chat with someone and make a little friend. Um, but, yeah. It's kind of pretty much the only hiking I've done here, so it's all, all business, pretty much. Business and drinking cocktails. <laughs> so... So in your the time that you've been in the two years that you've been in New York, it's what were your what were some things that kind of surprised you about it? About New York? Yeah. Um, that's not that hard. I mean, I thought it would be like a little more of a shocker in terms of uh, like difficulty in living, you know, because it's always aside yeah. from the cockroach assassination here. In the- oh yeah, I mean that's like you know it's like whatever. Yeah. I guess yeah maybe. Uh, I guess that is a, bit, a big thing, and like seeing rats all over the place. Do you, does that place. bother you? No, it doesn't bother me. I but I'm I, I can be with somebody and it'll freak the fuck out of them. Like oh my if, God. Like, yeah. if you're on the subway platform and like you're talking, like I have a certain friend that like I'm talking to him, and, and he's like, and then we're talking a mid sentence. He's like, ah, 
Because the it's you know the, the the rattle like slid through like the third rail. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't really bother. Yeah. It doesn't affect. I mean, me. they're part of the. I mean, I think too. Like I was saying, I grew up on a farm. We always had like mice in the house and like kind of just this like big old farmhouse and you know lots of random things in the barn, stuff like that. So what kind of farm? <sighs> well, so it used to be like a cattle farm. I remember my dad was growing up there and. It was kind of dormant for a while, and then my brother and I were like, I don't know, five and seven or something. My parents wanted to get new animals, and they got llamas. Hmm. So, there were llamas. I was really into horseback riding, though. So. What was the what was the shift to llamas? Uh, it was like, they're easy to have, and they're like, oh, we want something fun for the kids to play with. So, we used to like show them in 4-H, and they don't really do anything. They're definitely not like revenue. I can yeah. I was gonna say like I understand no. the the economic gain with having a cattle farm. Obviously, you know anybody can for various reasons, but uh-huh. for llamas, I would imagine there's a lot of. Is there a lot of overhead for llamas? No, no. There's like zero overhead, aside from buying them, and then you know my dad does like corn on other people's farms. So like he leases out farms and does corn and whatnot. So that's free. Like he doesn't pay for that, and then they just kind of trim the grass too, so they're a little bit useful. Other than I had this uh, major mortification about llamas all throughout high school because it was like a really small town. It's kind of known as like the llama girl. Oh, that's nice. And I was like, no. So I when like all throughout college, I wouldn't tell anybody about the llamas. And then <laughs> I just like really good friend. And we're like with my parents, and they mentioned the llamas, and he's like, "You grew up on a llama farm." I was like, oh, man, we've been really good friends for two years, and I haven't told you this. <laughs> so, but I'm okay with it now. It's kind of a fun fact. Right. How many are there? Uh, well, now there are, like, eight, probably. But at one point, we had 30-something. Wow. I know. Yeah. And it's a big farm. It's, like, a big farm, but... So, in your... That's, that's your, like, high school era? Mm-hmm. So... Were your neighbors were they on farms too, or were you kind of the exception? And you like you were the you were the person on the farm. Um, on our street, we were like the big farm, and there are a few other there are a few houses that were maybe like an acre or two each, but didn't have farms. And then you know nearby there were lots of farms, but on our specific street, we were kind of you were the yeah. You were the, it used to be named. It used to have our last name. It used to be Shank Road, but now it's Martin Road for some reason, which is bullshit. Who's Martin? I know. I don't Fuck know it, where that man. came from. That's... But we used to not have a road name, and it used to be like an RD box. Wow, so it's, it's like a like a gravel road or a dirt road, or um, just kind of getting it's like a, it's paved. It's like small small road, um, but you know, not too many cars come by there. Didn't have cable until I was like fifteen. So when people were didn't come out there. when people were talking about like, like Sex in the City or Friends, they were like, what's, uh, yeah, what's I like that? missed out on all of these. I remember my grandma got it before we did, and my brother and I would like go up there and watch TV, and it was like so exciting. <laughs> and uh, we won but, the lottery. Yeah, but there are all these like cartoons and things that people watch when they were kids, and I'm like, oh man, I didn't really do that. I played The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> but you oh, so you had video games and stuff. Oh, so I guess, I guess I did play some video games. The Sims and Roller Coaster Tycoon. We had a computer, at least. What was the... Was that a, was that a conscious thing that your parents said, we're not going to have cable? Uh, yeah, for a while. Because I think we could have gotten it like a few years earlier, but then they didn't want us to... I don't know. Just same reason they didn't let my brother have like an Xbox for a while. 
I guess. And now your brother plays video games nonstop? No, not anymore. He did for like a hot second, but he's pretty, doesn't do that anymore. So. Do you ever, do you have a logging for the, for the farm and, you know. Oh yeah, I have fantasy that I make a lot of money and move back to the farm and turn it either into a rye distillery or cider. Wow. Yeah, because, like, brother has no plans to go back there, and it's, like, this awesome thing. It would take a lot of money to kind of, like, revitalize it, so it's becoming a little bit decrepit. And But I want to turn it into something to do with booze. So I'm really into booze and cocktails and stuff. Um, what's your favorite cocktail? Ah, that's a crazy question. But probably a daiquiri. So, daiquiri... Commonly, it's thought of as like frozen strawberry drink, mm. which it is not. Daiquiri is like actually the margarita is uh, a variation of a daiquiri. So, daiquiri is first, and it's just uh, lime, simple syrup, and rum, and white rum. But that's like if you go to a bar and ask for a daiquiri, that's like the drink where you can harshly judge if it or like figure out whether it's a cocktail bar or not. What about in general? Can you assess somebody by what they drink? Uh, yeah. Hmm. I mean, like, what they order? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of variables. So, if you go to a bar... Like, I don't order cocktails everywhere, for sure. So, if I go to... Um, you know, depending on the menu, or if they have a soda gun or not, I might not order a cocktail there. <laughs> so, it depends on, like, their... You know, if they have, like, a whole row of flavored vodkas, then I'm, like, not about to order a cocktail. Or if they have that machine, like, rah, yeah, the, definitely the, not the the slurpy Frozen machine. Margarita, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to say those aren't delicious. Sometimes, like, I'm totally down with frozen margarita if I'm like on the beach or yeah. you know, give me like the shittiest, you know, buttery nipple. <laughs> Put a little umbrella <laughs> like, on yeah. it. Yeah, um, in the right context, all drinks are delicious. You know, so don't want to be too snooty about it. But in terms of like properly made cocktails and like whether I would want a cocktail versus just ordering like a tequila or something. Depend. Lots of variables. Um, do you, do you venture outside? Do you drink like wine and um, liquor? And... Yeah, I mean, I'm not that into uh, drink a lot of Modelo's. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. I'm not like a, a beer or wine connoisseur by any means. Mainly just booze. But I like I like a ice cold Chardonnay sometimes. For sure. After a long day of yeah. teaching coding. Yes. And. uh yeah, if you're trying to... Like, cocktails aren't really sustainable to drink all night. So if I'm trying to, like, drink for a night, then it's, like, Modelo's and tequila. So wow, that's a go. good mix. Yeah, it's delicious. Tequila's so cool. Tequila's, like, really, really neat. Everybody, do you... Mm-hmm. You drink tequila just, like, over ice, or do you... Uh, no, no ice. I mean, sometimes it'll be shots, obviously. But mm. I do enjoy it. It's, like, good sipping tequila. So... It's kind of like stuff like Jose Cuervo and shit like that is like disgusting. So always you want like 100% agave tequila. And because Jose Cuervo is like to be tequila, it has to be 51% blue agave. And like by law, and Jose Cuervo is like 51%. And then who knows what like the other. sugar and all yeah, kinds like of bullshit. Yeah, like paint thinner. Who yeah. knows? Uh, but these like smaller batch things that are 100% agave are like really nice to drink. And tequila is like becoming more of a thing, but agave is like super messed up how it's handled in Mexico, like the whole industry. It's really interesting. 
Like, well, I, I think I know what you mean, but, but yeah, um, just in terms of like monocrop culture, that kind of stuff. So like you'll have, and they'll have these like major surpluses and then major shortages. So in like an agave plant can only be harvested once and it takes like eight years to mature. Right. So if you're going to, if you're like predicting, oh, will there be a big need for this agave in eight years? If you're gonna like start agave right now, and so but people aren't letting agave like everybody wants this blue agave for tequila because anything made from other agave, oh, I didn't know if you giving a tequila lesson right now. There you go, it's delicious. Um, anything made from other agave is mezcal, right? Technically, yeah. so uh, do you enjoy mezcal as well? Oh, or? sure. Mezcal, a lot of people way cool. Yeah. A lot of people are all, like shy away from it. Oh, they don't like the smoky. It's a little. But mezcal technically doesn't need to be smoky. It just happens that it's usually uh, made in a different way. There's this mezcal called pachuga, which is usually drank on like celebrations, but it's uh, smoked through animal carcasses. Wow! Can you get that at like a retail store? Or? Uh, there's Del Maguey has a pachuga. Um, I'm sure there's other ones, but yeah. If you go to Astor Wines, they have really good, good selection. So, if you're with somebody and you're getting to know them socially, and they, and they, you know, commit some sort of beverage sin, do you, do you, do you take, do you file that away in a mental note, or are you like, eh, okay, oh boy, this is, uh, all right, whatever. <laughs> I silently judge. No, no, I, I'm very forgiving, but I file it away, um, and I'll probably, well, depending on, depending on the crime, may or may not educate, depending on the situation. I do it. I, do, I mean, I. Um, like if somebody orders, uh, vodka soda, we'll just say, yeah, if they don't name, <laughs> like if they don't name their gin, uh-huh. just like gin and tonic, I'm just like, you're going to get dog shit. You know that, right? Yeah. And then well, it depends there. where you are though. And like the context. So if you're at a dive bar, I mean, you could say like Hendrix and tonic or whatever, but I would totally order a gin and tonic if I don't like care about you know, I don't, I don't know. That's not a good example. I think of, I'm more. Yeah. I think I'm maybe I'm more snooty with beer. Oh Like sure. if somebody says like if somebody orders Coors mm-hmm. at a bar, I'm just like, yeah. Why don't you just like open the sewer cap and just stick your head in there? Well, like, just drink water. <laughs> yeah, just like. But then again, like I've totally really enjoyed a Coors Light before. You know. I'll drink anything, but yeah. I'm just saying, like if you have if you're at, if you're at the bar, I, I would imagine that they have other things to drink. So, so if I go to a cocktail bar and someone orders a vodka soda, then I might judge, but then I also might be like, oh, that's totally cool because it's like easier for the bartender to make that than make a whole cocktail, you know? So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's always like um, arguments for and against all choices. When you go to a cocktail bar, uh, do you look at their cocktails or do you have in your head like, okay, I know what I want. I want this and I want that. Um, like, I want an old-fashioned, and I want it this way. Da, da, da. Uh-huh. So I have a formula for this. Uh-huh. So if it's my first time at a bar, and I don't know anybody that works there, um, then I'll... Pr- and I'm, if I'm with a group or something and not sitting at a bar, then definitely order from the menu. Not good practice to order off-menu when you're sitting at a table, I would say, and you don't know the bar. But if I'm on... If I'm at the bar, depending on... I don't know. It depends. Um, if I'm interested in the cocktails... Then I'll order one. Also, like, do I trust them to make me a classic cocktail the way I would want it to be made? Right. Um, when you say, okay, let's back up here. When you said you're with a group, you're at a table, 
And you said it's not good practice to order off the menu. Yeah, because it's like, just make it easy. I mean, you could order off the menu, but it's like easier to just do. I mean, ah, not necessarily, though, because sometimes classic cocktails are easier to make. But you can totally order like an old-fashioned or something, but don't order like a corpse reviver number two or something kind of obscure so like you know daiquiri negroni old-fashioned manhattan like those are all fair game but so don't order like a kind of off the beaten path classic off menu unless they specifically say on the menu order you can like off menu drinks available right i think yeah exactly i think but do you think it's appropriate to do that if you're sitting at the bar uh yeah i mean to order a a, like off the beaten path classic like some like Ring ding ho hummer, bada bing, but whatever. Uh, talk to the bartender and get like a feeling. Right. For right. it, I think. Yeah, it's fun. It's just uh, you gotta pick. You know, it's all about the vibe, I guess. But that's probably my standard practice is like if I'm in with a group, order something easy, that there's not gonna be any like, because usually there's a server who's taking the orders. It's not the bartender. So if there's like weird stuff and there has to be like back and forth, it's like just make it as streamlined as possible. Right. Yes. Good point. Good point. I was doing my own uh, old-fashioned tour. Oh, yeah? And I was trying to just kind of doing like a inventory of old-fashions, like who was making what. And, uh, you know, some people were leaving out the orange peel. Some people were putting in the cherry. Um, and it's interesting. Some people don't even ask, like, do you want it, like, on the dry side? They mm-hmm. just, like... Um, well, so no cherry in an old-fashioned. What? <laughs> no cherries in an old fashioned. Some do. Some do. Some do, but like, yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the thing. Like, there's kind of two ways to make an old fashioned. So, mm-hmm. if you're sitting at a table, and you have in your mind the kind of old fashioned you want, and you order an old fashioned, and they bring you like muddled orange and crap, then it's like. Well, they, it's standard to have the peel, right? The peel. Right. Yeah. But not like, but some places, kind of like the '80s way to make an old fashioned, is like muddle the orange. Like, add the whole orange and get, like, pulpy shit in there. And, like, right. Cherries. Yeah, I don't yeah. like the pulpy shit. Yeah, but for sure, the peel. Yeah, that's definitely standard. So many people have a maraschino cherry in there. Like a Luxardo cherry. That's a good. But I, I always think the best way to kind of, like, get in on the ends at a bar, at a cocktail bar, is you go there and you can, if you can't feel it out, and you're like, oh, I'm going to order off menu, like, it's kosher. Then you get a daiquiri, number one. And then maybe follow that up with a Negroni. And then say like oh hey bartender can I get a shot of tequila and one for yourself and that's like you're gonna be golden and that's wait, wait, like, well, how, how, how deep into are you buying the bartender a drink well you probably won't pay for it no 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 but like a shot for your like that like you're saying that, that's, your, that's your first that's your first like oh you said you said order a daiquiri first right yeah oh so one to two drinks in so get oh, a daiquiri first. I have... Wait, wait, wait. Hang, I'm going to push yeah. pause because this is something... Okay. Say you're... Because we, we're, we're, we live in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you meet all kinds of people. And, uh, you know, some of my listeners are, are in, in search for the significant other. So what is the appropriate first date drink for a man? What is appropriate first drink for a woman? Ooh, that's a very good question. So I would... This is a place, this is a time I would not order an off-menu drink and be super snobby up front. But, would, some, but that happens plenty of times, right? Yeah. yeah I, so I've, I've I actually, that. I was at, there's a place, Pouring Ribbons, it's in my neighborhood, that's like, they, you, that, oh my god, the guy that, uh, the owner is just like a cocktail god, and they are so on point, just for kind of how a cocktail bar should be. Pouring Ribbons. Amazing. 
but I was there um, the other night, and there was someone next to me, totally on Tinder, okay, keep a date, whatever, and the guy was being so snooty about, and he ordered, like, some fucking, like, absinthe drip thing, which is <laughs> yeah. so complicated for, like, I mean, like, you know, bartenders are, like, Did they have the that. display where they heat yeah. the sugar? Yeah, it was the whole thing, and he was just, like, telling this girl all about it, and I could tell her eyes were just glazing over, and I was like, this guy's being such a douchebag, and so don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. I would say good guy drinks probably like old fashioned solid or like maybe like whiskey neat or scotch or something. Right. Um, or beer. Depends where you are. But um, I would usually order a menu drink to start out because I don't want to. I don't want to show that I know too much. <laughs> and then the, then that will like organically. And then about. and then you can be revealed of your yeah. I'd say girls work. girls just get I don't know whatever you want. Menu drink or beer, whatever. Doesn't matter too much. Maybe guys don't get, um, like, a cosmopolitan. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't matter, though. Get a girl. What, what do you think about it? when a, when a guy orders a bottle beer at the bar? Is that, that, Versus a tap beer? Yeah. Um, I don't think anything of it. No? It's he wanted that beer and it wasn't on. I mean, I know technically, like, beer on tap is supposed to be better than in a bottle, right? Yeah. It... it but my my thing is like, well, you're you're at the bar, uh-huh. so why not why not go take this experience to the fullest? And you're not because you don't unless you have a tap at home, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't judge though. Wouldn't no, think about okay, it. Yeah. he's 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 safe. Okay, I'm probably as judgmental as I sound about ordering drinks. I'm probably not just because there's like so many different. Oh, I didn't uh, say you were judgmental. Well, no, I, 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 I always feel judgmental oh, okay. about it. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'll have to go on a date and think about that next time so. I do I mean I obviously I think anybody likes like very good stuff mm-hmm. I mean I love Glenn Levitt but I also drink like really horrible cheap stuff too um, I remember reading um, an interview with uh, Shane Smith of Vice and he drinks Jim Beam all the time mm-hmm. and so the guy's like why, why do you drink Jim Beam because I drink to get drunk <laughs> well, that, that's the that's the thing. Like that's what we're doing. Period. So whatever you're drinking that gets you there, go for it. Right. Exactly. It's like the whole history of booze is like put some sugar so, in there. Do it. Yeah. It's funny that like reading um, like books about booze. The whole history of booze is like so chopped up because everybody's drunk. Like how are you gonna know? Right. Like what you know? You look at these old uh, like cocktail recipes and they're all so inconsistent and people make everything different ways so you can be like super snooty and be like an old fashioned should be made this way like I just was or like um, you know daiquiri should be made this way but then you'll read something where it's like oh the guy that actually came up with an old fashioned made it a different way you know stuff like that so there's really no one way to do things at the end of the day you are drinking to get drunk so I mean or sometimes just have a couple of nice beverages if it's a a school night. <laughs> Tecate? Are you... Uh... Oh, I'm, I'm big. Messy Tecates. Yeah. Tecate has shit on top. I love that. Some hot sauce. Do you ever... I do. I it thought I... So yeah. Good. I get judged hot a lot. Hot sauce, some salt, some lime. I love that. I get judged a lot putting hot sauce in beverages. Why? Michelada. That's what those are called. Really? Like, oh. Yeah, like hot sauce and beer. So if you just like... Hot sauce and beer and, and a lime? Yeah, you put... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Huh. It's delicious. I'm okay. just doing it by accident. Yeah. Huh. Oh, you accidentally spilled hot sauce on your 
coffee review? Uh, I was drunk one night. Did you do that? Hot, like I put hot sauce and everything, so I thought I'd try it. In. At first, I put it in. I put it in a, a cocktail that I made, mm-hmm. and then I had a tecate, and I said I could have swore somebody else did this, and then I did it, and then yeah. I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah, if you go to, um, I don't know if like every bar would know that, but any place that has like cocktails and has tecates, if you say like I want a, a dirty tecate or something like mm. that, then they'll put it'll be hot sauce and then some salt and lime juice on top. Okay, I gotta remember. Just that. like all over the top of the beer, it's delicious. Yeah, <laughs> so that's funny. Do they have inadvertently? Do they have uh, meetups for like bars? No. Uh, I guess that would be a like meetup.com things. Yeah, for like like let's let's do a pub call. There was like, I looked it up once, and there was one. I think it's like kind of defunct. But again, like meetups are kind of weird. So I'm probably better off just going to a bar and talking to people. I think. Is that what you do? You just kind of go to a bar by yourself, or? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of, like regular spots now, but it's like hard. Like the city's hard to meet people to make like friends that you don't have to plan two weeks in advance for a happy hour. Right. You know, so I kind of um, just through being into cocktails and booze, like went to a couple of bars regularly and just like get my daiquiri and like get to know the bartenders a little bit and you get to know other people that work there and then it becomes this like really fun go-to spot where it's like, oh, I don't need to make plans. I can just go there and, like, I'm going to know people and chat with people. Right. And you can just have, like, you know, superficial, fun interaction. You don't have to have, like, conversations about work. So it's a nice way to check out, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of New York. Yeah. And um, uh, and I think that's uh, the beauty of New York experiencing that is I think people need to experience that kind of on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, um, kind of doing like having, you know, kind of releasing their whatever their social hangups are, and just kind of just going out and exploring and doing things that maybe they wouldn't do, like go to a bar by yourself. Or, um, I mean, this is the perfect city to be alone because you're alone with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm in a like I'm in a relationship, but I enjoy the time that I have to be alone and I value my relationship now because I was alone and um, I think that's the I think that's healthy and I think that's really the only way to be um, and in New York like I, I, I walk if I can walk there I will and I feel like that's such a I don't do it for like health reasons or anything I just do it because it's just you know your mind wanders and you're not going to kill anybody as opposed to driving right I would never walk the same distance in, you know, Virginia or, you know, maybe even Boston. Actually, if I walked the same distance in Boston, I'd probably be doing laps around the city. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> Boston, you can walk from, like, Jamaica Plain to the north end. Yeah. Or, and the yeah. time it takes you across town. I remember I was showing a friend around I, after living here. Uh, we, we were at Daniel Hall, and we went all the way up to Alston. I was like, wow, that, that actually didn't take as long as I thought it would. Like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I spend roughly like a quarter of my life, life walking, I would say. Just because, yeah, like, so I live in East Village and kind of don't leave Manhattan that much. But it's like anywhere you go, you can walk. I mean, if I'm going like way, way downtown, I'll take the train. But otherwise, it's so, you know, 45 minute walk, whatever, listen to podcasts, audiobooks, that kind of stuff. So. Fun. What is the reward that you get from uh, from teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
This is interesting. Uh, I've thought about this before. So the standard answer would be like, oh, I love teaching people and I love watching people learn and like blossom as new developers, which I definitely love the, those things. It's really nice. But selfishly, a lot of the reward is like realizing that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, oh, I actually do know a lot of things. So that's fun whenever you can like keep ranting about a topic and be excited about it and be like, oh, wow, I like kind of know this stuff and I get it. So, and I would imagine you have to you have to keep up to date on a constant basis, right? That's just the nature of technology. Oh, totally. Yeah. So that's definitely something I try to instill in students for sure. It's like um, always reading things, always going into, for lack of a better term, click holes. Right. I kind of like that, What's that idea. Well, have you seen okay. that Onion site click hole? Yes. It's, okay, really, it's yeah. so stupid, but. I like that idea of the kind of a rabbit hole of clicks. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you read yeah. one article and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Just like click on things. And then you and then, end it's, up, then it's midnight. Yeah. yeah, and you end up like researching something and learning and then figuring out something that you're into, you know. Um, but, you know, there are certain newsletters and online resources that I think it's really important to keep up to date with, even if you just scan. And, you know, I rarely sit down and read an entire article. It's more just like, oh, what's going on? And then if I see something come up a few times, then I'll read it. That kind of thing. So... Just spend like or just like pass it along to somebody else. Can you believe this? Ah, yeah. yeah, it's like oh, I read a headline. Hmm. <laughs> so much, so many things are like that. Just reading headlines, you know. But it's uh, a lot of quantity in some ways, and just being like abreast of what's going on because there's way too much to know to delve into everything. So I always think just know one sentence about what a new technology is, or just like read enough about it to be like, oh, I get it, and then be done. Because it's always so much. And I think it's more important to be aware of many terms and then read more about things as you need them. So, like, JavaScript is a good example right now because there are so many, you know, various frameworks and tools coming out. I mean, for everything in front end. But it's impossible to know all of those things. And I'm not going to spend a weekend... I'm not going to spend every weekend doing little tutorials and demo projects just so I can say I know Angular or React. But if I'll understand what they are, and then when I need to learn them, I'll learn them. So that's kind of my philosophy about that stuff. When you meet a client for the first time, um, whether it's somebody that you're doing work with or a per prospective student, um, uh, if it's somebody that is a high-end business executive or um, you know a young uh, an entrepreneurial what is the f what is the one thing that you try to um, investigate for yourself to say hey I you know just to kind of do like a mental check for yourself to say look I, I don't want to waste my time um so money is one thing so like I don't want to do these small website projects that people want like you know custom site that kind of stuff how much also like you mean red flags, kind of? Yeah. This yeah. One, yeah. So, I'm trying to think. So a lot of it's just kind of a general character judgment. Right. right? So and if like, somebody's like really want to lowball you on things and are very yeah, pushy. Yeah. So I mean, it actually comes down to money a lot because the kind of project. If I was going to do a development project, um, I want that larger cost to. Have, I mean, obviously, because I'd make more money, but it becomes a longer term investment and like the client will be more invested in it so like do they respond to my emails 
that in like articulate ways like do they actually write the email or is it like misspelled that kind of stuff so i want people to take the time with me that i take with them right which um because like a website is an important thing you know and i want people to be excited about it too so what what do you see a um a, uh, any kind of gradual movement toward anything specific in terms of websites in general, whether it's, I don't know, whether it's Time Warner or I don't know, Netflix or anything like that. Do you see, um, I think I read somewhere where it's, it's more functionality over, 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 uh, fashion over the way, it, you know, the way it looks people that, that businesses are leaning more toward, um, I guess more content and less the way of of the bells and whistles of of what you know in terms of presentability. I mean, are you, is that true? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's about having fast websites now, and to have these like huge, you know, full screen video animation things and like parallax and fancy like bells and whistles, right? Um, that's makes for a slow site. And that's one of these problems with like WordPress themes and Squarespace themes is they're really slow, and they're really photo based. And you know, photos and content are great, but they need to be loaded responsibly. And there's um, data that the about the, like kind of the retention span of users. So under um, under like a 0.1 second response time, it feels instant, right? So if you're dragging your finger across your phone um, and something responds under 0.1 seconds, then it feels instant. After a second. So if your website, if a website takes longer to load than a second, the user starts to feel like it's taking too long. They feel like they're waiting. And then after 10 seconds, something like 70% of people leave. And so now the movement is to like get under that one second benchmark or at least have something on the screen. So you don't even need pictures, you don't need anything, you don't need your fonts to be loaded. Just have text on the screen and have something that's able to be consumed under one second. So that's where everything's going, I think. Because you can't, even though, like, you know, uh, like LTE and Wi-Fi, whatever, is getting better, I might be walking into the subway, right, and I have, like, 1X, um, and I'm trying to, like, look up an address for something on the website. And if it doesn't load, then I'm, like, stuck and I have to, like, go back out, whatever. So fast websites are really important. And there's also data about, like, business improvements and, like, Amazon... Some, something, I, I don't remember the exact stat, but, you know, by having a faster mobile website or a faster responsive website, they increased their sales by, like, some percentage. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a huge thing, and that's what everything's moving towards. And also, like, quality content and not having, so one thing is, like, the, like, truncating content. So, a lot of times in excerpts for news articles, for example, or even if you look at, like, iTunes, um... Like for like iTunes is actually a good example. So for podcast episodes, they have they truncate like with the ellipsis, a po- like a episode title, and it's like completely useless. So it might just have the number and like one word, and I'm like I just I don't know what this episode is. But if you as the person uploading the episode were able to say okay, here's my three word description for this episode to make it more scannable and just have like pure content like that that's more adaptable to different devices and different contexts. So. Do you think businesses are working around that and moving away toward video, or they're just trying to work toward uploading that video faster? Um, oh, like not having video? Like, a, yeah, yeah. 
Well, if you look at every freaking website right now, they all have these like big background videos, so they're not really moving away from it. But um, no, I mean, but I, I see that too. I mean, like whether I mean on my phone or even on a computer, I'll go to a site and then like you know there'll be the video of the story, and then the actual article may be like two paragraphs. And then I've read the two paragraphs, but the, you know... Like an um, ambient video that's... Or so, you mean like a narrative video? A, yeah, the video that is uh, a supplement to their article, which obviously isn't much. Uh, maybe the article is a supplement to the video, or, or vice versa, or whatever. But I'm just saying it's you know, it's pinwheeling, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's beachballing while I'm, you know... And that could be... It could be numerous things. It could be that maybe I'm in a cafe or the server or whatever, but... Um, yeah, that happens quite often. Yeah. And I'm just curious, you know, in, in businesses or even uh, media outlets, are they, so they're they're trying to make that more robust? I guess, like you said, that we're not moving away from video content, right? Yeah. Um, I think it serves maybe a different purpose and it's meant to be consumed separately, potentially, but whatever the case, like whatever the relationships between the content are, the there just needs to be something there immediately. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, whether the text is a complement to the video or just something, right? So you just have to think about all the different contexts. And, like, if you turn off all styles and all JavaScript and there's very little internet connection, what are people going to see? So whether that means they are going to see a description of the video, like, if the video is the crux of the content, if it's, like, a web epi- like a webisode or whatever, then the text, you know, maybe you have a transcription or something, but or maybe it's like, oh, I'm just gonna put a description here, and they need to watch this in a different uh, different setting. So you kind of make that choice as you're developing. But a lot of times you'll see videos that are really just for aesthetics. So if you go to like Airbnb's website, they have like these ambient videos in the background, which are you know really pretty, and that's awesome uh, as long as they're loaded responsibly and they're not um, hindering the rest of the content coming up. When you say loading responsibly, what do you mean? Um, so they're not blocking the rest of the site loading. So there's uh, a way to <clears throat> what's called like lazy loading content, um, where you load it. So for example, you don't want to see a spinning thing. Like you don't want to see the website still like a spinning thing in your tab, because right. that means like you're kind of loading the video as you load everything else and. What you want to do is load everything else and then request the video or say, like, show the video once it's loaded. So there's a way to kind of delay the loading. Um, but just kind of like a, a technique in terms of performance. Hmm. Where do you it, um, where do you see, um, you know, websites and, and coding and so forth? Where do you see that, you know, as we into the future? Let's say 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to become a very blue-collar industry, actually, in terms of coding, um, because it is a it's a well, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard. Like I would say, um, there's this huge rush right now, and there's so many jobs in tech. There's this huge rush for people to learn how to code and like go to a boot camp and get this like six-figure job as like a software engineer. Again, some air quotes mm-hmm. here. Yep, it's like job good. titles are. Uh, debatable but there's this huge rush and like in five years when all of these people are learning how to code that it's going to be like saturated potentially so well you know who knows what's going to happen there but I think 
it's probably like probably the process is gonna become stream like the web is so young the web is like 26 right and web develop like only modern web development has probably been around like since browsers kind of stopped being obnoxious around like the mid 2000s so and we've like progressed really fast but it's still so fragmented and there's a lot of things to know and I think the process is probably going to be more streamlined and maybe there are going to be different standards in terms you know maybe it'll become more like medicine where you need to like qualify to be a developer or it'll become more like plumbing right medicine in the sense of like you can get Tylenol or you can get the generic uh, medicine version. as an industry like in terms of like certified oh, oh so okay. well I mean medicine's obviously not a blue collar thing but if you look at like plumbing or like electrician electricians things like that or construction right you have to understand these they're like production skills right and you understand the workings of something and there's a way to fix it and there's a way to do it and there's a set amount of technology that you're using so I think maybe it will move towards that because we'll probably figure out the best way to do it again air quotes best way because nobody those knows like a claw. those the little claw yeah um, the people that you speak with like you know and you obviously you know the people that you're exposed to, your your clients, uh, your students. Um, do you think, in general, people are more tech savvy now, or just kind of like what? What are the trends that you notice? Oh well, yeah. I mean, it depends on old people are. <laughs> really? I mean, do you think yeah. it's an age thing? Yeah, totally. So, uh, like somebody who's like 15, who would probably know more about um, Java than. I don't know. They can pick it up faster, I think. Right, okay. Because mm-hmm. it's just uh, the way of figuring out how to use something. You know, if you like help your mom with a computer or something, it's like they don't know how to troubleshoot. There's no baseline for them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and someone who grows up with like an iPad as their first computer, they know like kind of how software works and they know how to figure things out. So, and I did a couple of workshops with high school students once just teaching HTML and CSS and it was like astonishing at how quickly they picked things up. Because they kind of already were familiar with it? Yeah, I mean they're the digital natives, right? right. So they kind of yeah. grown up with this um, imprint of how digital works that you know, older generations haven't. So you're, you're, do you, so then by definition your industry is getting younger? Uh, yeah. Probably. I mean, there's lots of people, you know, early 20s working on this stuff. So if you so. see somebody that's, like, in their, like, mid-50s who is a coder, you get a little suspicious? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is, like, so incredibly ageist, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's, you know, kind of, like, the industry leader. I mean, no, not necessarily. So this guy, Jeffrey Zeldman, who's kind of, like, the founder of the modern web in a lot of ways, he openly says, he's like, I don't really code anymore. Like, he kind of came up with the idea of web standards, which is huge. But, you know, he's probably in his 50s now. And he doesn't code. He hires younger, like, more, like, savvier people to do it. Right. No, that makes so, sense. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where, where that comes in. Um, one question that uh, I ask everybody that comes on the show mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, what would you... Well, actually, there's two. There's two. You get two. All right. Uh, if you could tell... If you could time travel back and just reappear and you had uh, yourself from 10 years ago, what would you tell that person? Oh, if I could travel back to 10 years ago? All right, I would have been 16. So, 
Um, I'll just be like, thumbs up. <laughs> like, <laughs> keep going. 16, you were in Pennsylvania? Yeah, in Pittsburgh. Oh. Or I'd maybe be like... Oh, uh, that's right. You were the llama girl at 16. I was the llama girl yeah. at 16. I'd be like... I don't know. It's like, you'll get out. Don't worry. <laughs> you'll get out of Scottsdale. What kind of music were you listening to in high school? Ska. Oh, okay. I was really into ska and like kind of ska punk stuff. So. Real ska? I don't know what that means. I don't know Real what you're out there. Um, I, I don't like, know. People, I like I, people that I know of the ska community, they're very protective. Oh, well, music. I mean, there's kind of like real big fish ska, and then there's like skank and pickle ska, and kind of like old school, more old school stuff. And then there's like kind of modern ska punk-ish that's like a little less known than real big fish. So like uh, Big D and the Kids Table or like Streetlight Manifesto. I used to be really into those. I mean, were you militant about your own music? I, mean, uh, I imagine most teenagers were. Yeah, like, I went through a lot of phases. I also went through like a big Green Day phase, which I'm like a little bit embarrassed about because I was really obsessed with Green Day. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's music. Yeah, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. But um, this is funny to think about now. Hmm. It's just a, a teenage um, obsession, right? Here we go, number two. Brace yourself. All we've right. been we've been leading up to this. Oh wow. Uh. How do you define happiness right now for you? Oh, wow. This is quite a question. Um, happiness would be daiquiri in hand. Well, no. <laughs> no, that's, that's a drink. Yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, probably, talking to you, I feel like I want to drink, start drinking right now. I know. So, if you're listening to this and you have the ability to drink, please do so. Yeah, every so cocktail. Uh, happiness would be, like, probably when I'm, like, most into work and I'm, like, really excited about work stuff. And that's going well, so... Or I'm not like very distracted by uh, like boys or something like that, <laughs> or like stressing out about something. And when I'm like excited about my projects, that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Laura, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for of course. On thanks for having me. The website is not Laura. Not Laura. Not okay. Not Laura. Not L A U R A. Because it's L A R A. Like like Tomb Raider. Like Laura Croft. <laughs> That's what I do in my spare time. It's my other life. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you. Uh, Go out and do good in the world. I'll see you next week. Peace.